0: Wonderful. Latney. thank you so much for joining us today. And I really loved your book. Uh, So before we talk about your book, could you please give a little bit of background about uh, your uh, consulting firm and so forth and, and what you've been doing?
1: Sure, so I am the chief market officer at a company called Sixth Sense. And we are an account engagement platform. So what the heck does that mean? Well, the reality as B2B sellers and marketers um, today is most of our funnel is what we call a dark funnel. Meaning there are B2B buyers out there that are researching you. They're researching your competitors. They're um, looking at trade publications and not talking to your salesperson. And so... What we wanna be able to do at Sixth Sense is give you insights into that dark funnel. So you understand who's in market for what you do. You understand who's on that buying team. It's not gonna be one person anymore, right? So what's that collection of the buying team? What are they most interested in so that you can tailor your message? Um, And then you have to be able to go do something with all those insights. So we help you execute these uh, really engaging plays across sales and marketing to deliver great prospects or as we call it, um, future customer experiences.
0: Awesome, so talk to us about why you wrote this book, and the other thing I'm really curious about is why that title, No Form, Spam, Cold Calls.
1: So yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I started, I've been at Sixth Sense about two years, And when I joined, MarTech is a crazy, crazy space. You know, I I don't know if you guys have seen the infographics with how many MarTech and sales tech tools there are, but there's literally thousands. Mm. And so I joined Sixth Sense, which is a a MarTech technology and I felt really um, overwhelmed and like, what am I doing? I don't know this industry well enough. I think I took the wrong job. For kind of freaking out. And my husband, I have a great husband, very supportive. He said, um, you got to play to your strengths. And I'm like, I have no strengths, crying. What <laughs> 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 strengths? Yeah. Um, but I'm like, wait a second. I've spent the, I spent a decade on customer experience. Um, Cause that's what I was a part of at Aperio, was helping people revolutionize both their customer experience and their employee experience using next generation technology. That is what our company did. We were almost $300 million organization doing that. I had a great run and I'm like, okay, I know that. So let me, let me retrench what I know to this new job. And when I did that, what I realized was the current marketing and sales technology is really set up to deliver a very, very poor customer or future customer prospect experience and I was like this is kind of screwed up like forms suck no one likes filling out a form uh I just you know when I go to buy something I don't know about you guys but I'm not just going to go buy something willy-nilly I'm going to want to do my research I'm going to want to look at the reviews I'm going to want to really put my business plan and my case together and we prevent that with a form Um, Spam, I have 32,000 unread emails right now. So your email is not getting to me. Um, And we actually send 300 billion emails a day. So that's crazy town. So, you know, it's just, and the whole reason for the form is to get someone's email. And then cold calls, I'm I'm a working mom. And, you know, if I get a number that's like spoofed with my area code, I assume something has happened to my kids and my heart drops and I hate that. (laughs) And so I was like, this is how our technology and our processes are set up. This is ridiculous. And by the way, I'm now the CMO of this super cool company that has all this amazing AI and big data that, you know, we can see the dark funnel and we know all this stuff. What the fuck? Like we can do things better. And so I um, I went to my team, I pulled my team together and I was like, look, we're we're going to do it different. You know, I'm like, I'll get the pet talk. I'm like, we are going to build our process and we are going to prove that we can make money. We can make a lot of money and we can build pipeline and we can be a very successful company with a with a process that puts, customer experience or prospect experience first and has no forms no spam no cold calls I said we got this we can do it and they were like oh my god you're so crazy why do we work for you (laughs) um but I called it project bold moves and I said no one is going to do this unless we do it first and we prove that it works
0: and that's my next question is about tell us about project bold moves what what is that about
1: well, that, so that was me kind of laying down the gauntlet, like, guys, am I the only, are we taking crazy pills here with, with how this is all set up? There has to be a better way. And just say, declaring, let's figure this out. And as we figure it out, you know, build templates, build processes, uh, build best practices and document along the way and share, share what worked, share what didn't work, um, because no one's going to want to do it if there's not a guide to do it and no one's going to want to do it if it doesn't really work and deliver. And so um, We declared that last July and worked really hard and hit we're, we're already see- We were already seeing pretty good preliminary results. And so in December at my customer conference. I kind of laid it all out and laid out what we do, were doing and challenged customers to join us kind of in this movement. And they did. And um, and then it was just a matter of like trying to document it all, which I thought would be easy. But Mark, it was really hard and nearly killed me. But
0: so uh, we
1: got it done.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and you got your book done, which is quite good. What percentage of the decisions you make are influenced by data sets and AI as opposed to speaking the client's observations and creative thinking?
1: Well, so uh, it's kind of an interesting question, right? Like obviously the more people still buy from people. And so, especially if it's an enterprise B2B sales motion. So I think the first, so unpacking that, first of all, what is your sales motion? The more B2C it is, meaning walk up, credit card, things like that, the less like human interaction there's there's gonna be in the cycle, the more complex longer sales cycle enterprise there will be naturally. And so I think understanding that is, is important. Um, For the most part, this process is is geared towards a more considered purchase with a buying team involved. And the idea is that research is happening um, and they're either gonna make a decision and come to conclusions without you or with you. And when you are in that pocket, that moment of truth, when you first get in front of a client, you have 20 seconds to establish a relationship and have them wanna engage with you. And so that's where the AI and big data comes in is because it's already informed you and given you patterns to help you shine, help you stand out from the noise, help you be more creative. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things, Mark, I found was, I you know, my team knows, like I love making stuff up, I'm, I, I love, the arts and crafts of marketing Um, that's why I do this. Um, But what I found and, but what we, we ended up seeing was that the AI was telling us what our ICP was. So what our ideal customer profile was. And then within that ICP, what keywords were most important to them? So what these folks cared about the most. Well, as a marketer, we're used to doing all these interviews and building persona maps and then coming up with our own opinion. And so I had this content strategy based on what I thought people cared about. And when we looked at what the AI was saying, it was totally different. Um, And so that was sort of a check myself moment. Like, I'm never going to be able to process and see the data that the AI will be able to. So we still got creative and we still built a bunch of cool assets. It's just on topics that we know are important to our buyers versus what we might've guessed or gleaned from maybe call it 10 or 20 conversations.
0: Got it. So uh, what are the most important skills a marketer needs to master today?
1: Well, so being a marketer is a very diverse um, marketing is a very diverse team. And so um, I think it depends on the type of of where you grow up in marketing. Um, so I think that the skill set that is incredibly important, and actually one that's important across sales and marketing, is something that we call revenue ops, revenue operations. Um, and so what that means is having a centralized function across sales, marketing, and customer service, or customer um, success, that is actually pulling all of these insights together, uh, and providing them to the business so that they can, you know, basically perform better. Um, So I feel that's a critical function. Um, And before, it's sometimes been siloed, where it's been, you know, marketing has an operator, operations person, sales does, but I think pulling those together is is a really important step. Um, Another important role that I see is um, not thinking of yourself as digital marketing, but digital experience, which is different. So looking across uh, all of your different digital channels and figuring out how you orchestrate an omni-channel experience um, is another role that we see emerging. And then last, but certainly not least, is like, and especially with COVID, is like the role of field marketing and um, how to connect, how to stand out across the, you know, in a noisy competitive environment.
0: You know, many of the people who are listening to this, uh, and we got them amazingly from Chile, Nairobi, Kenya, and all over the United States, uh, is that, they're, all, they're entrepreneurs. Their companies aren't you know, Fortune 1000 companies and cold calls are part of what they do. How does a salesperson contact a new prospect of the, no cold calls?
1: Well, so the book is pretty clear in saying, I'm not saying don't call anybody. The phone, you can still use the phone. I'm not taking away your phone. <laughs> um, but what I do believe is to me, a cold call means that Uh, I have no context about why I'm calling you. You're not in market. I can't add value with this conversation. Um, So the difference between a cold call and a warm call is a warm call, the account has been warmed up, meaning marketing has been providing air cover. They're aware of the brand. They've been consuming content. You understand the personas that you're calling. You understand their keywords. So when you do make that call, it truly is value-add. Um, and that's a, that's a important nuance and distinction for us.
0: I, I always think of uh, marketing, because I do marketing work as well, is like the D-Day invasion. The battleship is the one sending the messaging. And then the troops on the ground who are taking the, uh, taking the, the land uh, are the salespeople. So, you know, marketing is making them visible, educating the audience about who you are, and then that makes it easier for the salespeople to get their job done. Uh, please explain the process that you call the virtuous cycle.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and this goes back to Aperio and, and, you know, as, as entrepreneurs and go-to-market leaders, you're always building and growing your team. And if you believe, like I do, um, and like a lot of studies have, that you know those who deliver a better customer experience will profit and grow, um, you're always thinking about, okay, what do I need to do to create and deliver this amazing customer experience? And I believe the first place that you look is actually with your employees and look at the experience that you deliver to them. And I think that if you create... The right culture, but also give them the right insights and agility to be able to take action on those insights. Really great insights about the customer. Um, they will they will then deliver great customer experience, and then that that's the cycle that you kind of get into. But getting the flywheel going, to me, actually starts with your own people.
0: Uh, you call this the age of the customer. Uh, Why is that?
1: So, yeah, so there is probably one of my favorite studies, uh, Forrester studies, is called The Age of the Customer. And what this study does is it walks through all these different decades of time and what companies have risen to the top. And so it talks about like the age of manufacturing, right? When Boeing and and those type of companies really rose to the top. It It talks about the age of distribution, right? Think about like Walmart and those type of companies. It talks about the age of information, which is like the Googles and the Amazons. And then it talks about today. And the study basically proves that today we're living in what is called the age of the customer and companies that, Really reimagine an experience um, and it's not just a product right it's it's product meets experience because think about uber it's not just the cab ride it's how easy it is to use the app and and those type of things, but that really reimagine their solution um, around the customer will profit and and grow and rise to the top of the stock market and all of that
0: wonderful. Uh- One of the questions that we have here is how can you educate a wide market before sending in the sales troops with a very limited marketing budget? And that's a problem that all entrepreneurial companies face.
1: So, um, I am not a huge believer in necessarily a wide market. So I think the first thing you need to do is understand your ideal customer profile. Um, and you know, it's, I'm so passionate about the ideal customer profile that like, I actually taught a little class at Northwestern for future marketers. And I say, if you interview and that marketing team can't articulate their ideal customer profile, do not join. You cannot be successful in marketing without understanding that because you'll never have enough dollars to do a good job. So that's step one is to understand that. And then step two is you don't just wanna understand your ideal customer profile, you wanna understand something that I call your in-market ideal customer profile, your IICP, okay? Because let's say like my ICP at any given time is changing, but I I know for one of my segments is about 30,000 accounts. There is no way I can effectively advertise and drive air cover and the type of engagement I need across 30,000 accounts with the budget I have. So what I wanna do is then look at, okay, what are these accounts doing? Some of them are under a rock. They're not researching anything that has to do with me. They are so far from a buying cycle. And that's okay, I ignore them. I don't spend any money on them. But there's a sub-segment of 2,000 accounts that are researching account-based marketing, are researching modern marketing, are researching ICP, things that I know are indicators that they're scratching their head thinking they have a problem that I can solve. And so once you have that IICP, which is a narrowed segment of accounts, that's when you can really gear your dollars and your advertising at them. And so, and, and depending on where your buyers are, you know, you, you would choose different places. Um, display advertising is great for air cover, um, you know, LinkedIn, if it's, if it's kind of a more business buyer, it's a more developer type, it's, it's different places, but then, then you can sort of channel your efforts, um, to the right place.
0: I I wonder how how effective is it spending a lot of money on SEO? Because there's only so many people can get in that front page and every person who's selling you SEO is telling you they can get you on to the first page. How effective do you find that? And is that still one of your main uh, tools?
1: It is a tool. It's not one of our, like we don't even bid on Six Sense, for example. Like if you Google Six Sense, you won't even get, like our competitors bid on a fine because I get so much junk. I get like the movie and all, and I'm just like, whatever. (laughs) Right. So, um, you know, I think it depends and it's about like optimizing those keywords, which, which is why the intent data is really helpful for us is by looking in our ICP and looking at those keywords. We know exactly which ones to bid on and what makes sense for us. Um, we, we also, again, use a lot of programmatic display advertising. Um, and then, um, you know, I really like LinkedIn for, for our personas as well. And I, and I think, you know, understanding like some of the more social channels are, can also be very effective.
0: Uh, a question here is advice, key steps for finding and defining ICP uh, below focus on IICP. So first i I'm tell them again what ICP stands for.
1: So ICP is ideal customer profile. And so, you know, typically like when you go to pitch investors or get get money, you know, you talk about your, your TAM, right? Your total addressable market. This is a twenty million market or $10 million, you know, depending on how much money you want to get, you're going to build like, how big could this be? And that's great. You want to understand that, um, but within that total addressable market, there are people that, you know, you can be more successful with, like maybe it's a tech fit, they have an adjacent technology um, that you work well with. Maybe it's a certain industry, maybe it's a certain company size, um, maybe it's a geography, right? Like, and, and so there's some pretty, I think, easy ones. Like if you think about technographic and pharmographic, that you can start to, layer on and apply Um, and actually Topo is a research firm and they did a pretty good little one pager on how to workshop an ICP and come up with the number of criteria but you probably want like three or four main criteria and maybe three or four sub criteria um, that can get you down to kind of a reasonable amount of accounts that are winnable.
0: Uh, I, I love what you talked about before, which was how important it is to treat your employees like customers. Why, why do you say that?
1: So I'm, I'm a big believer in, in brand. Um, I think brand trumps demand over the long term. And your brand and what you represent and your why starts with your people, um, who you hire, who you fire, who you promote. Um, and do they believe in that vision? Uh, and so I think if you, if you have the right type of people, you know, any, and you give them a great vision that they're bought into, like anything's possible. So I I just think go to market success and company success starts with people and culture.
0: And they have to buy into it. Like when, they're, and when you're interviewing them, they've got to be excited about it. It's not just a job. It's a real calling, right?
1: Yeah, I just had someone turn down an offer. Actually, I just got a text. <laughs> um, and I'm bummed, but I'm actually okay because I, I, in my gut, I kind of felt like, like one of the things I say is like, this is a, this is a cause, not a job. Um, and you're going to have a lot of fun. And we're going to try a lot of cool shit and it's going to be awesome, but you're going to work your ass off. And so you got to want that, you know, you got to be all, and if you're not, that's okay. Right. Um, and if you're not going to take my gig over 5k or 10k, then like, that's all right. That's totally okay. Um. So, but, so yeah, it's a, I think it's vetting for, for that. And, you know, do they, understand your why, do they believe in your why, can they personally attach to that? Um, and then it's about like, like I do something um, which I learned from my old CEO at Aperio who was amazing called the fun factor where I ask people uh, all the time on every one-on-one and on our all hands, we do a survey. And I say out of the last 10 working days, How many were you having fun? And my goal is that eight out of 10 working days, you're having fun. Now that doesn't mean goofing off and playing foosball. It's being excited about what you're doing, learning, being inspired, right? All the things that kind of like everyone's fun is a little different, but um, that's that's what I strive for. For my people.
0: I can tell you have super energy. So they probably can just plug you in and turn (laughs) off the electric in the building. Well, uh, how how is AI impacting marketing and the customer experience now, uh, and 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 what's your reliance on that?
1: My reliance on it is huge, and this is why I wrote the book, is because I think people don't realize how cool it it can be. We are at this pivotal time where the AI and the big data and the insights have advanced to a degree that we can reimagine and we can deliver these amazing experiences that I don't think we thought were possible. And I think that's so fun and exciting. And, you know, that that was the premise of the book is
0: we don't need
1: to build our database of emails and send spammy, you know, new, no one's reading your newsletter that you send three times a week. No one gives a shit. So um, we have an opportunity to up the game, and I think people that move early on it will reap the rewards.
0: So, uh, what strategies do you use to get customers to listen to your message? I mean, you mentioned just now having a newsletter go out three times a week. I would agree with that is overkill, and they stop and they start to tune it out. But what tactics are you finding now are people are very receptive to?
1: So our process is all designed around adding value to that, that individual, um, which sounds cliche, but let me walk you through what, what I mean. Um, so, you know, one of the tenets of great marketing is personalization, right? People talk about it all the time, but personalization can be a parlor trick and seem kind of creepy. Or personalization can be adding value, right? So, someone sends me a note: "Hey, I saw you went to UVA um, and you live in Chicago. Go Cubs!" I don't care; <laughs> like, it's not a big deal. Whatever. Someone sends me something on running a great customer advisory board because that's something I'm actually researching right now and interested in. Wow, thank you. That is so helpful. I'm. I want to up our, our customer advisory board game. I like, I'm into that right now. And so um, what we do is, and fundamental to the design of what we think is a great customer experience is understanding the keywords that are you're researching. So if the AI surfaces, so for example, Mark, if the AI tells me that your account, like the company that you're at, the top keyword is product predictive analytics. If I know you're in marketing, then predictive analytics is probably about marketing ops. You're probably thinking about lead scoring or lead conversion. Um, If you're in the head of sales and you're researching predictive analytics, you're probably worried about forecasting accuracy um, or some, or, or, you know, different things. So what we do is we take the keyword and then we map it to each persona we sell to. And we say, why would they care about this keyword? What is happening with them in their job? What is their problem that they need to solve? So when we see your keyword come up and we know your persona, we know what to outreach and talk to you about. We know what content to provide to you. When you come to our website, our drift bot knows what content to recommend. When you go to a content hub, it's dynamically going to adjust based on the things we know you care about. Furthermore, if you're early stage and you're just kind of getting your mind around predictive analytics, the type of content you want is very different than if you are later stage. So if you're early stage researching predictive analytics, we might say, why should you care about predictive analytics and what people do with it and um, unpacking what it really means, right? If you're a later stage, we might want to say, here's six case studies on how companies have used predictive analytics and the ROI they've gotten. So we tailor the experience for the persona, the keywords that we know they care about and their timing, where they are in their cycle. And to us, we feel like that provides the most value possible, which equates to an exceptional B2B customer experience.
0: Uh, how do you find info on companies you're searching for?
1: Um, well, what we, part of our solution is, uh, is something called intent data, where basically we look across um, the, the all these publisher networks and um, you as a client, you say these are keywords that we know would be indicative of interest. So for example, I track about 3000 different keywords uh, and we have this AI um, graph called a company identity graph which takes what content is getting consumed, matches it to the account and marries it to the keyword. So at any given time, I can see what keywords are bubbling up in my ICP. That's how it works.
0: Are, are there metrics that define the revenue impact of adding value?
1: Are there metrics that define the revenue impact? Yeah. What kind of results have we gotten? Um, and what kind are our customers seeing? So um, we had, before we implemented this very prescriptive approach, we had a very lumpy. Um, pipeline generation and we had a outbound model and outbound team which is expensive so think BDRs, SDRs and they were they it wasn't sustainable from a cost of like a CAC perspective Um, and so what this model has been able to do for us is first of all Every single quarter is a beat and raise, so we double um, every year, um, which means the pipeline and revenue targets, of course, go up. um, But you don't want to be raising your CAC. And so what this has allowed us to do is to meet those aggressive targets and maintain an industry-leading customer acquisition cost, uh, so grow uh, responsibly. And part of why it does that is it's so, it's, I'm refining. Like, again, I talked about, do I want to market to 30,000 accounts? Not really. Like, it's great. I know it feels good in those investor pitches to talk about your huge TAM, but from a marketing perspective, it's kind of a nightmare. Like you want to be able to like refine it down. And so it helps us make sure that we're, um, we're, are, we're very, very qualified in who we're talking to and, um, and, and our clients see that as well. They see a huge lift in pipeline, in conversions, in revenue. And one of the interesting things that happens is because it's AI, it's just math um, telling us where to focus, we can do something called a back test where we can see how well the model is performing. Um, so when I wrote the book, I talk about you know eighty percent of our revenue coming from the what the, the model predicted. It's now ninety. Um, so those are good odds to me. I'd rather play those odds than pachaw, butchow. Maybe I do this. Maybe I do that, you know, any day.
0: Uh, how are you identifying the keywords? how How do you pick the keywords that you use?
1: It's a good question. It's and we've actually built in like a, an engine to help with it. Um, I mean, the nice thing is you, you can track unlimited keywords. So you can kind of be looking at them and, re- and refining them. Um, but it is a, um, it's a little bit of an art because, you know, for example, if I track a keyword like marketing, that's almost too broad. Right. And I'm going to get a bunch of stuff that's like, well, that doesn't apply. Right. So so it's about like striking the balance between uh, of specificity, not getting so specific that you're not picking up enough. Um, and so that's something we have to like work with with people to to hit that. Um, But you could even track like one of the things I track is like big conference when we had conferences, (laughs) we don't anymore, but when we had big or virtual conferences, but like I track like conferences, because I know if you're going to attend this conference, if you're going to serious decision summit, you're a great target for me. So I want to track that as a keyword.
0: Uh, What uh, data sources are you searching to find where your ICPs are searching for and match your keywords?
1: Um, So our platform monitors like basically all these websites. We have all these relationships and monitor all these different websites to get the intent data.
0: Okay. Uh, Is celebrity endorsements have any value? I mean, it used to be like 50s, 60s, 70s, I guess into the 80s, you know, having uh, Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or somebody uh, or, you know, famous uh, rock star endorse you. Is there any value to that anymore, considering all the data you have that instead of spending it on them, saying you've got a great product, now you're able to go and and use all the AI and and everything to really target market who you're going after. So is there still a place for celebrity endorsements?
1: I think that my competitors should use celebrity endorsements and billboards. (laughs) And and take out a lot of advertising spend in airports. That's anyone who competes with me. That's what I recommend you do.
0: A total waste of time and money.
1: They should spend a lot on it.
0: Well, what's the three biggest mistakes a marketer can make when trying to develop a relationship with a potential customer? And you already mentioned one, which was sending them the same thing over and over again.
1: I mean, time is so valuable, right? And so I think. Um, I think that as it it depends on where you are in this, I I think for sellers, the expectations are higher than ever now. And I think, uh, I'm glad I'm not in sales anymore. I w it's too hard. Um, you know, you are expected to be an industry expert, a solution consultant, an expert on your product an expert on everyone else's product. And so that's how you stand out is not like, I think the, just being a relationship salesperson. I, people don't want that. They don't have time for, they they want you, you define yourself by the expertise you bring to the table. Um, and so again, I think it comes back to how you're adding value and helping people do their jobs and educate people hate to be sold, but love to be educated. And that's, that's another reason why I say no forms. Like, why? I, it, why? It makes no sense to me. Like, I control mind share. I control wallet share. Like, I want you to learn from me. Why would I date my content? This is stupid. Like why wouldn't I put it out there? Especially if I have the tools to know. I know what ebook you consumed. I can see it in my AI. I know where you went to. I know how long you stayed on that page.
0: Do you think marketing to different generations requires different tactics and and um, and strategy? Because you're you were just saying like, hey, nobody has time to go and actually meet you for golf or to develop a relationship because everybody is everything is moving so fast now. So do you think that that's generational, or do you think that uh, that's the new reality for everybody and even older people are? so time pressed that they don't have time to develop relationships anymore.
1: I mean, my mom loves Facebook and loves social stuff and Google and orders everything from Amazon. And I mean, so, and I don't think it's like, I don't, I don't wanna say it's not developing relationships. Like everyone wants an amazing experience. You just have to tap into what that experience means to your audience. And a lot, like, especially with COVID, it's all digital. So how do you create an amazing digital experience that people want to engage in?
0: What have you done that's been successful for your clients uh, during this uh, pandemic?
1: So last week, and I think we're going to do more. um, We... Did a zoom. It was, it was on zoom, but we went to Barcelona. And we met a, it was um, a bunch of women CMOs. I'm I'm really bullish on women in leadership and empowering women CMOs. So it was women CMOs. We went to Barcelona. We learned about the history of the espadrille, which is a shoe. Um, we had a designer, Um, he designs and makes espadrilles him and his wife and so they walked us through how they make shoes and we all got to pick out what color we wanted what ribbons wow everything about it and now they're mailing us shoes and it was just a really cool differentiated interesting experience that you know for our loyal's CMOs, and and then it was a great way for us to catch up on what's working and what's not working.
0: Uh, When you write that most decisions are made by groups, not individuals, uh, what is that, and does that apply to everything?
1: Again, what's your selling motion, right? So if you are, if you're a B2B company, but your selling motion is B2C, meaning I can walk up and on my credit card, like LinkedIn, sign up for LinkedIn Navigator and whatever, and I'm just making the decision, then no. But most B2B considered purchases um, require a pretty big consensus to, to make a decision. So, you know, we always, I grew up with something called Selling DeVito. Do you, do you guys remember that book? Anybody remember that book? Yeah. Oh, uh, and it's like, it was basically sell high, right? Get as high as you can. And the executive is going to make the decision and then they're going to tell their team what to do. That doesn't happen anymore. Like Mm -hmm. if my team wants to buy a marketing, I'm not going to tell them what marketing tool to buy. Like they're going to come to me and say, we have a problem. And I'm going to be like, okay, do you really need it? I'm, I'm going to vet the need and vet that it's a need that we want to spend budget against. So that's the sale. You got to sell me on that, but I'm going to let them pick. Because I'm not going to probably be the one using it, Um, and you know my CFO is going to be involved because he's going to—it's COVID—and he's going to want to make sure that it's a high priority purchase, right? And my head of sales might be involved because you know we kind of share the same budget, and how does that prioritize over something else? And so there's all these things happening to to get a purchase done, and it's not just one person
0: because so many people were impacted by it and so many people are using whatever that is, right?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: So explain the dark dark funnel. What is that?
1: So, yeah, I mean, only 12% of sales and marketing professionals have confidence in their data, okay? So the data that you have in your CRM um, or your marketing automation solution is probably not very good. Um, and it's only known data. It's only people that have raised their hands and said, I want to meet with you. But as we've been talking over this call, like a huge part of the sales cycle is happening before they talk to you. Um, and that data, that rich information is in this dark funnel. And so that's what we talk about is wanting to be able to uncover the dark funnel, um, so you have a m- much better insights into things like your ICP, things like your in market ICP, things like those keywords I talked about.
0: You write in the book is well, uh, why is the most useless success measure out there the marketing qualified lead? Explain
1: <laughs> that. You're hitting all my hot buttons. Um, I uh, okay, so. um, The MQL is a marketing qualified lead. And basically what marketing does is they set up some sort of point system in their marketing automation solution that says, if a prospect downloads this ebook, give them five points. If this prospect goes to our pricing page, give them 20 points. If a prospect does blah, 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 blah. And it's all about one contact and scoring points for one contact. And then if they reach a certain number of points that passes to sales. Well, I told you it's a whole buying team, right? So just scoring that one person is like not accurate at all because A, what if they're an intern, who cares? or maybe they're the cfo so that matters a lot so i don't want to just score the activity of one person and give arbitrary points i want to score the activity of the person in the context of the company do i even care is it in my icp in the context of the buying team and what their activity is doing um and i want it to be all behavior based not arbitrary Uh, because what happens is that lead Like marketing's whole mojo has been organized around scoring and passing that, scoring and passing, scoring and passing. Whereas I think our role is much bigger and our metrics need to evolve to account for that bigger role that we have around pipeline, revenue, win rates, customer success, churn. And that's all about identifying patterns and measuring account engagement and getting people through that journey versus just saying you, Mark, you scored a bunch of points from downloading my ebook. Sales go crazy and cold call Mark.
0: You know, one thing I think people are walking away from this is that marketing has become a lot more complex um, over the past 10 years than it ever was before. Like you need to know so much about so many different things in order to pull the right levers today. One of the things that you write in your book is uh, no thing, do nothing. Uh, what do you mean by that?
1: <laughs> no nothing, do nothing? Yeah. <laughs> well, so our tagline, um, our tagline here is know everything, do anything, right? And that's what we want to put behind sellers and marketers is it's, it's it's aspirational, it's supposed to be inspirational. Like we want to give you this robust platform that allows you to know all this stuff. And and if you know all this stuff, then you're going to be able to like be this great seller and marketer. So that was sort of a joke and a take on our tagline, which is, if you know nothing, do nothing. But when it comes to spam and like I said, calls, I'm not saying we still send emails, like you you gotta, you know, emails are a form of communication. I haven't like gone to our office and like unplugged every telephone or taken everyone's cell phone. We still make calls. The difference between spam or a cold call is the ability to, to add value and the ability to add value is about the quality of the insights. So if you know a lot, you should do something you should engage if you know nothing what are you even sending them like doesn't make sense so that's like it's kind of I was trying to be funny and make fun of our own tagline
0: yeah I don't know if it worked or not I I asked the question can you talk about the five steps you follow when engaging with prospects
1: yeah so there's you know I, I Maybe you guys have heard about this. Like, there's kind of a big movement to something called account-based marketing, which is focusing on an account and a buying team, not just a lead or content. It's a contact, um, and it doesn't. You know, you can ask Forrester or Gartner or any Topa, any of the marketing textbooks or whatever on account-based. All have a somewhat similar. Process And I just have mine, which I've simplified, um, which starts with selecting the best accounts. And so like any campaign that we're going to do, it's like, okay, what are the best accounts for this? What's our business objective? What are we trying to do? How do we select the best accounts? Um, And so one, you know, we talked about ICP, we talked about IICP that that's a good way to whittle accounts down, but you might say, hey, I wanna do something very, very high touch. I wanna to, to bust the doors open on the most high value targets. Maybe it's 10 accounts and you're in there like, hey, show me 10 accounts that are on my competitor because I wanna displace them, You know that type of thing. But, it's, but it all starts with account selection and making sure you have the best targets then based on those targets, you want to have insights about them. So, you know, again, I, I talked about me guessing what content to write about versus we know these care about this. So the, the next step is, you know, know about them. What, what makes these accounts similar? Are they in the same region? Are they researching the same keyword? Are they, um, you know, D- different things that you want to be able to look at because that's going to inform your budget, how much you spend. That's going to inform your content. That's going to inform your creative. And that's going to inform the tactics that you're going to execute against that segment. And so we have a saying here with my team. I say, no, if you don't have an account segment built where we have these insights, you're not getting content. You're not getting creative. You're not getting budget. So that those two steps are really important. Those inform the next step, which is engage the right way. And to me, engagement needs to be journey, like stage-based. So I'm gonna do something different for an early stage account than I am a late stage account. Um, and engage the right way is multi, it's typically multi-tactic. So I'm not just gonna do ads, I'm probably gonna do ads and maybe a direct mail spend send and maybe, um, you know, some email outreach or maybe I have an event in there. So like what design kind of how you're going to engage appropriately with that account segment. Um, and then collaborate with sales. So marketing and sales, there's no handoff. There's no baton anymore. Like we have to work in tandem. And so the more, you know, how are you collaborating with sales on this campaign? How do they know when to engage how are they getting informed about what their, their key accounts are doing through the process? Um, and then last is track real stuff. So how much do we spend? Did we get more accounts engaged? Do we get new accounts engaged? Do we move them along their journey? Um, are they in pipeline? Um, so just, just being able to understand like what the true results are with, of this specific campaign. And we follow that for every single campaign that we run.
0: One of the things you wrote in your book, and I agree with this totally, and I think companies make a big mistake, and that is making one person in charge of sales and marketing, and forever, a lot of companies would always make the sales guy, vice president of sales, call him vice president of sales and marketing, and most salespeople don't understand marketing at all, and you talk about the need to absolutely separate these two positions. Talk about that, because a lot of folks here are CEOs of companies and why that's important.
1: So I am a recovering software salesperson and I was a sales leader and then a marketing leader and then ended up having sales and marketing. So I'm speaking I'm not speaking from maybe maybe I'm just inadequate, but um it is from some amount of experience. But so sales is a freaking grind. It's every week, every day, what have I closed? Uh, you know, I think the best sales leaders have a very good handle on forecast, um, and a lot of, and, and that's great. Right. But as a marketing leader, I have to be like, I can't be thinking about this quarter. If as a marketing leader, I'm focused on this quarter, I am not doing my job. Uh, like it, I, I'm, we're way too late. Like I have to be thinking about two or three quarters out and where the market is going to position us so that I'm, I'm like future proofing the bookings, whereas the salesperson is, is in it right now. And I think it's too hard. Um, and they're too important of functions to have in one. I mean, think about a, co- a company, to have a company, you need a product, you need someone to sell it and you need a market. And that's the role of the CMO what is the market what is the icp where is the market going and how do we position ourselves to to win in that market
0: can you explain uh 2 mom
1: <laughs> so i um i'm obsessed with this strategic planning process called v2 mom and it sounds really weird um but let me I- explain what it is. And maybe some, of, maybe some of you all have actually used it or heard of it, but um, it, was, it was really popularized by Salesforce, uh, Mark Benioff, because he looked at a lot of the strategic planning um, frameworks out there and found that they weren't agile enough. Uh, and they didn't connect people to the why of w- w- why the plan existed and what you were trying to do. Um, So he popularized this approach called V2MOM. So V stands for vision. Uh, The second V, so the V2 stands for values. Um, MOM is methods, obstacles, and metrics. And so it is a way to get your entire company aligned um, on a plan. And this isn't your company long-term vision and value. It's it's not like your corporate stuff. This is what are we gonna do this year or what are we gonna do in the next six months? So it's all very time bound and it's all prioritized. And I've just found an amazing way to get every function aligned with what we need to do, why we're doing it and how we're gonna deliver. Um, And it kind of goes back to the culture thing I talked about earlier, transparency builds trust no one wants a bunch of you know they they're putting their livelihood in working for you and working at your company so how are you going to tell them where you're going why you're going what their role in it is and then be very transparent about how you're doing against that um and so it's just a it's a it's a way to foster that and and also get a lot of shit done so I write about that in the book. I have an example one in there. Um, I, I thought, thought it for, to be really important.
0: I thought it stood for uh, "Drink two vodkas before meeting with your mom," and I thought, well, that's probably pretty sound advice.
1: It that too. <laughs> that so would be so, a lot more fun.
0: Yeah, probably so. So here's my last question to you, as we our, our time is running out. A lot of folks, uh, CEOs, or who are on here. Hiring a marketing professional, what types of questions should they ask? And is there a profile of a successful marketer today? What do you look for? What should they look for?
1: I think you need to understand what you need. And if you're ready, like, do you want a CMO? Do you want someone to help you with the market? Um, That's why I changed my title to chief market officer. Or do you want someone to like run your website and do campaigns? Right. So, um,
0: Strategy versus tactics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's hard to find everything you need in, in one role. And I know that sucks. Cause you're like, I, I can't hire a team of eight people. Right. Yeah. Um, so I get it, but eventually like, I think if you have a CMO and they start out, you know, at the right kind will do the work to start. When I started at Sixth Sense, it was me and one other lady <laughs> grinding it out. Um, but yeah, do you, you, the CMO should be like your right-hand person for strategy.
0: I thought you, uh, you made an interesting comment that you call yourself chief market officer, not chief marketing officer. And just quickly here, just tell us the difference.
1: Well, I think that what's happened over time is that, um, marketing like ing is a verb, right? So, and, and you might guys might have marketing leaders that do this. I wrote a blog, we got website traffic, we did a press release. It's like all these activities and it's like, no, who gives a shit, right? What, what is going on in the market? And those that you have to do those activities to move a market or participate in a market. Um, but I think, unfortunately, marketers have lost themselves in the ing and need to be thinking about the market and why the ing matters more. And so that is, it's, it's in there. I think we all have it in there, but being very prescriptive about changing um, how you think about the role and show up and is is important if we want to continue to thrive.
0: Well, Latney, I have to say I really enjoyed the hour we've spent with you. I thought your book was terrific. I hope all of you will uh, buy a copy of this book. I know we're going to hear great things about you in the future. And I wish you the best of luck, and have a great weekend. Thank you, everybody, for coming on today to uh, meet Latney and and listen to her talk about her new book. Have a great weekend, and uh, take care.
1: Bye.